Most Improved Player is a good award. I'm tired of everybody criticizing this award. I think it's real nice to honor the players who improve the most. But as I've talked about, I also think it's a limited award because it's really, for the most part, only covering one season of improvement. The players who improve year over year over year over year, maybe incrementally so, but at least are advancing their game, they don't get the credit that they deserve. So I've come up with a new award. It's called Utmost Improved Player. I want to honor the players who've improved the most over their careers, from their rookie year on. So there can be an advantage for somebody who's been in the league longer uh, because they've had more years to improve, but you actually have to do it. The only ground rule is you have to be having a career year, right? So somebody like LeBron James obviously improved a ton from where he was as a rookie, but maybe on the downturn of his career, probably had a career year for him. So he's not eligible this year. He probably would have won it at some point in the past. So I want to talk today about the players who've improved the most throughout their careers from their rookie year on to this year. Uh, very glad to be doing that today with Brett Coromenos, uh, who has actual experience in player development. Uh, so first of all, Brett, thanks for coming on. Why don't we start here? Why don't you uh, explain a little bit uh, your your background in, in NBA and basketball skill development, and then give a little brief overview of what you're looking for, what types of players you're looking for, what signs you're looking for. Uh, for judging improvement uh, for this award? Well, I guess with my background, um, I'm, I'm currently a washed um, former indiv- individual player development coach. Um, started out as a regular high school coach, um, then probably a little over 10 years ago. God, time flies. Um, <laughs> got into working with uh, professional athletes, um, spent about eight years working with Pros ranging from the NBA to like China um, or European leagues that you never heard of. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a, a very demanding thing, um, kind of <laughs> to get out for my own personal sanity reasons. It was a tough patch in the industry to be in, um, but a lot of great experiences and it really taught me a lot about, you know, the process of just, I mean, in a way, athlete self actualization. You know, um, how guys get better and what works and what doesn't. You know, learned a ton about movement and sports science and skill acquisition and things like that. Um, so it was a pretty tremendous experience. It was a lot of fun to kind of be on the inside and be a part of, um, you know, some special players journeys, uh, even if it was just for a couple of weeks or multiple years. Um, but I mean, I, I think the, the big thing that I took away from, from that experience and, and kind of meshing it with why, why you brought me on here is, uh, you know, it, I really learned how hard it was to, and how special it was for a player to not only have the desire to continually get better, but to work on the right things and have the right situation to get continually to get better. Um, and so when you kind of asked me to, to put together a list, I really had to think hard because, you know, a lot of players aren't necessarily fixed assets, but they are heavily influenced by their environment, right? Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's kind of my takeaway from all this. Um, and so the things that I kind of look for are just guys that – have added skills over the years in in both subtle and noticeable ways. So things that impact their overall stat line or their advanced numbers, but also subtle stuff that maybe only comes out in like the advanced plus minus wash kind of thing. And that's the kind of stuff that I, I kind of looked at when you asked me to put together the list today. Yes. So I think we're coming about it somewhat similarly. I, th- I think one thing that sticks out to me is it's harder to improve at higher levels. So I, I give more credit for, for somebody who can go from good to great then okay to good, um, you know, as you get higher on that scale. Um, so I think by listening to 10 toward bigger players or better players, uh, but there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of room for variation. Um, that's one thing I, I like about an exercise like this. We're going to cover all different types of players. Uh, so I asked Brett to give his top five 
Uh, there's an accompanying post on this podcast uh, at, at NBC Sports uh, of my top 10 and some more details uh, about uh, the players I had in my top 10. Uh, it's an exhausting exercise. I only asked Brett to do top five, and I'm sure that was plenty of work for for you, Brad, and I, I appreciate you doing it. So, <laughs> so let's let's just do our our top five, a little compare and contrast discussion. I'll kick it off. Uh, my number five is Demar Derozan. Uh, he's somebody who came in the league with the Raptors more than a decade ago. Now, uh, excellent athlete out of USC. Didn't quite know how to play. Um, he he was not even an All Rookie player. I, I don't think he made the the Rising Stars game. Uh, he had a regular role playing for the Raptors. He was good enough to get on the court, and that's something. Uh, but he wasn't very good. He wasn't very efficient. He looked athletic. And uh, that was about it. Uh, now, uh, I think he's having a career year. I'm so shocked he, he's winding up on this list. Maybe he could have made it in past years. I'm shocked he's back on it. Uh, he grew steadily for the Raptors. You know, even after uh, becoming much better over his first couple of years, he got a four-year, $40 million contract extension after his third year, that rookie scale extension, widely panned. Nobody thought he'd be worth it. Well, turned out he was worth that and a lot more because he kept progressing. He kept working on his game. I mean, he became very crafty at drawing fouls. Um, at a point, he combined you know, the craftiness of drawing fouls with actually like driving hard to the rim in drawing contact. He, he developed an identity as a mid-range shooter. Uh, I think this year is the best he's ever been from the mid-range. He's just so confident and comfortable in who he is as a player. Uh, you know, he takes some threes here and there. He, he's gone off and on with that throughout his career. Wasn't doing that at all as a rookie. Um, it's not the strength of his game, even as the league turns that direction. He is comfortable in his own skin as, you know, I'm going to be this mid-range shooter. Um, late in his time with the Raptors, he developed more as a passer. When he was with the Spurs, he really unlocked that skill. At, at times in San Antonio, I thought his future in the league was going to be as a, a point guard, maybe a backup point guard, maybe a starting point guard somewhere. But, like, hey, it just shift him to point guard. Um, he's still doing that with the Bulls. It's kind of the combination of he's the scorer, he's the passer, he's putting that all together. Uh, defense has kind of been an underrated weak spot of his game because he has this athleticism. I don't think people recognize how bad of a defender he is. I'm not sure he's a good defender now, but he's playing a lot more power forward, and you can see that working for him better defensively. That's one other aspect of this award where where I, I try and balance, hey, how much did you develop your skills and how much did your impact increase? I'm trying to find the balance there uh, because somebody might just not get to play much and they didn't get better. They're playing a lot more. Well, they're helping their team more if they're playing more if they're a good player. Um, somebody might be advancing their skills and be capable of doing more things, but go away from the things uh, that they were super efficient at and not have the same impact. So you try and find the balance. So DeRozan's defense, I'm not sure it's way better, but as a power forward, there's a versatility there. He's competing hard defensively. Um, his athleticism is helping him a little bit more. He's undersized. He's giving uh, you know things up at power forward defensively, but his, his competition uh, level there. His athleticism is shining with the versatility and unlocks some things for the Bulls. Uh, so I think it's a career year for him. Uh, and from where he came as a rookie, he's number five on my list. What do you think about DeMar DeRozan? You know, I, I mean, I'm kind of torn. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, you talked about the progression for DeMar kind of moving from, you know, more of a raw player to becoming kind of a, you know, just a scorer to, especially with the Spurs, I agree with you 100%. Um, that was where you, you probably really saw the playmaking take another step. And then this year, statistically, like there's no contest. It's clearly his best season. The only the pushback I would only have on, on that is that I think the other thing about this season for him was it was kind of the ideal situation for mm. a guy like DeMar DeRozan in a lot of ways, right? 
So he gets around. He's got a, a secondary kind of scorer, shot creator in Zach Levine. They've surrounded him with a lot of defense-first guys that, that have developed the ability to hit outside shots and lots of ball. Alex Caruso. Uh, in a, a lot of ways, it was a lucky break for, for him that Patrick Williams went out because it unlocked those small ball lineups that you're talking about where he moved up to the four. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick Williams is still there and is still playing 25 minutes a night. Um, how much are we seeing DeMar DeRozan in probably the ideal lineup for him? Um, and then even with Vucevic, you know, he's not like he hasn't turned into full Brook Lopez where all he's doing is shooting threes. Um, but I think he's averaging like five a game. He's stretched out a little bit. He generally hangs out and pulls his defender out of the paint, um, which gives DeMar like a lot of a spot, a space to work inside the lane, which is like that's his area, right? Like it's it, it helps a lot when the personnel you're with, when you can take the five man, you know, stash him in the corner and pull his big out where he has to have a little bit of gravity over there. And then the preferred operating area for DeRozan is, you know, that mid-range spot that's now vacated. Um, So, I mean, I kind of look at his success this year as a combination of both things. I think he definitely is a player that's gotten better over his time, but I also think he's a player that's kind of found the, like the legitimately perfect situation for a guy with his skill set, and he's just maxed that out. Um, so, I mean, it, it, I, I think you go either way. I, I definitely have no problem with it. He's clearly a player that has gotten better and added things to his game over the years. He definitely hasn't been like a stagnant force. Um, but, I mean, the other part of it is, you know, when you look at this year specifically in terms of like a culmination of all his hard work coming together, he definitely got a little bit of luck because the other part of it too is that if the Rosen plays in maybe a different era, even maybe 10 years ago, when we haven't seen this full-on all-out shift to super small lineups, guys that are six six, even playing the five, you know, does he get away with playing in in a lineup where he's the four man? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. It's kind of a fun. I mean, this is kind of a fun part of like having podcasts like this and having conversations like this as a fan or whatever. Is that you know you get to to kind of come at it from all angles, and there there is no right answer. Um, it could be a combination of both where. You know, it, it's a, like I said, it's a culmination of all the work that he's put in and all the little subtle improvements he's made, you know, paying off and, and landing in the perfect spot. Yeah, no, those, those are fair points. It's definitely a good uh, situation for him. I'm not sure he'd be having a career year elsewhere and therefore wouldn't even be eligible for the list. Um, so, yeah, no, very, very fair points. Um, I So for me, what he has grown at wasn't so much this year where I'm giving him the credit. It's not like, oh, he's. He's improved his game. He's refined things. He's so much better than he was, um, you know, when he peaked with the Raptors, probably. But it was just incrementally better for somebody who improved a lot, mostly in Toronto, I'd say, and then developed some, uh, fine-tuned some skills in San Antonio. Um, who did you have, number five? Uh, I went, I actually, speaking of the Spurs, good segue, man. Um, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of the Spurs, I went with uh, Jakob Pertl. Um, ah, so I, yeah, so Raptors, yeah, Raptors and Spurs together. We're just going to talk about those two teams as much as possible, huh? Um, <laughs> it seems no, like they might know something about player development. Weird, yeah, weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I kind of went with him because I remember watching Pearl when he came into the league, and you know he's with Toronto, and I think you know Lowry was on that team still, and um, they had Ibaka, and he, he kind of was just there. You know, in a lot of ways, um, he 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 came out of college. At, I believe it was Utah. If I'm getting this right. He went to Utah. You know, he's kind of looked at as maybe like a more traditional post guy. Like he had his little hook shots. You know, backing down the five. Um, and I I remember 
he was really good early on. If basically he caught the ball in the roll and the Red Sea parted and you get all the way to the rim. He didn't really have much. He was very, he was athletic. He could put the ball on the deck for a dribble or two if he caught it early. But he if he was if he was getting a finish on the roll, it was a finish at the rim. And when I look at him now in San Antonio, when you when you've seen this progression of over the years, he now is a, a very complete guy. I mean, you'd love to see the free throw percentage improve. You'd love to see him get stretched out a little bit with the jumper. But he's a, a much more complete a player, and he's also added the Marc Gasol, like, subtle kind of dark arts of screening and moving his body in ways that aren't maybe always legal, uh, but they open up space, they they free his teammates, um, and you kind of see that, like, nuance coming into his game of where he positions himself, his screening's gotten better, you know, kind of how he uses that the butt screen, you know, most traditional pick-and-rolls guy comes up, kind of sticks his chest on the defender's hip, you know, he'll come up and if he's got an angle, he'll kind of back into a guy a little bit, you know, and then stationary there and then use that angle to kind of open up for his role and take his first step and get a little more separation. Um, and it's like little stuff like that that I noticed, you know, before in Toronto, I remember especially in Toronto, he would like just basically run through screens. It wouldn't even, I mean, maybe it was partially because he was younger and his build hadn't filled out, you know, but he wouldn't hit anybody. He would just, you know, kind of stand there and then roll to the rim you know now there's a lot more subtlety to his uh, ability to get open i think his passing has improved um and his general stat line obviously looks like i mean it's a career year if you just go off that um but i mean i also think the types of passes he's making you know before he had the skill like if they they caught it and there was like a blind pig action which is like basically a design backdoor play like he had the skill to throw that pass you know, now he's at a point where he's reading cutters, he's looking for backdoors, you know, he's he's not he's taking his skill and combining it with like that reading ability to see the the entire floor. And then on the roll now, if he catches early and can't get all the way to the rim, I don't think it's a great shot. I, I don't think it's you know the the ideal one that you want to see possession after possession if you're a coach. But he's at least got something with that little touch push floater now that he didn't have before. So if he gets cut off, it's not just like a dead possession where he's got to throw the ball back out or he takes a charge or just tries to dribble around somebody and throws up some wild shot at the rim. Um, it's just generally he has a more complete package as a role man now. <laughs> yeah, I like that pick. He did not crack my my top ten. He was somebody I I considered. Here, here's what why he didn't for me um, before we get into a little bit more about his improvement. I just don't think he's quite good enough right now. Um, this is where I guess what I was talking about at the beginning where I favor somebody uh, advancing higher into stardom. You know, he's not a star. He's not really yeah. close to a star, but he's a good starter, uh, very good defensively. Um, it's tough to say how good he was as a rookie. Um, he didn't play much, enough to know he wasn't good, right? Like, But if you're doing this, you have to kind of compare, well, was he terrible as a rookie or just bad, right? That can make a yeah. difference in, in how you rate these players. Uh, by his second year in Toronto, he, he was a good, solid backup. And then has really blossomed in San Antonio and taken the next step. Um, you know, it's still very, a very dependent offensive player needs to be set up. Can, like you said, can do some more things. Um, but, but a lot of, and there's value in, in being able to be set up. Uh, one thing I look at uh, that really impressed me, his usage uh, rate is up over 18 now. Still below average, but this is somebody who, who had never cracked 15 uh, before, yeah. never cracked 14 in San Antonio. So and he's obviously an efficient finisher, right? Like he might need to be set up, but if you get him ball position, he's going to put it, you know, through the basket. So because of these screening things you're talking about, like he's able to generate more shots, that's a big thing for a player like him. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I definitely agree. Like, I'm not, you know, looking at him as even a future star. Um, I kind of view him as like a supercharged Nick Collison type. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely feel in the big picture, you know, if the Spurs are going to push themselves back into a team that's consistently finishing over 500, I think he's uh, part of that solution, you know, in terms of, you know, keeping him on board you know, his defensive impact. And like, and that was the big thing with him, right? It's like he had, he always kind of had this defensive impact, but you weren't really sure if he could hang in important moments against good teams, especially if you probably advance it to the playoffs when as an offensive threat, like he would be a guy that you could in some sense sort of ignore or play in a way that you could really minimize his defensive impact because he would take so much away from the offensive end. Now, at least like he's doing enough that I think he stays on the floor in big moments. And so you can max out that mm-hmm. defensive impact and his overall value. And, you know, where his overall value ultimately winds up, like he's still got a chance, you know, he's he's still in his prime. He's or just entering his prime. You know, he's got a lot of years still where he can still advance and improve. So he's just interesting to me because I, I would like to see where he ends up going forward and what, and how we view his value maybe not even right now, but like three years from now. One other thing I give him credit for, and we, you know, you talk about the the fit and the situation of players and how that matters. But I give him credit for is he became good enough defensively because I think his big, best uh, attribute defensively is how versatile he is. He can move for his size. Yeah. Um, that's a combination. He's not going to get pushed around the paint. But he's been good enough where the Spurs have, I don't know how much it's around him specifically, but he's a part of it where they're crafting their defense to take advantage of that. They're not trying to pigeonhole him a, as a traditional paint protector uh, because they see he's good enough to be in this role because he's gotten good enough. Uh, you have to earn that to a degree. I, I, I agree with you that fit and situation matters, uh, but the better players earn the team putting a good fit around them. That's true. No, that's a hundred. That's a good, that's a really good way of putting it too, is that it's definitely, there are guys that they ask to fit in and then the guys that they fit around. Um, and so, you know, where, where Portal is on, or Portal is on that scale is, you know, who knows right now, but uh, that's a good point. I mean, there was a lot of ways in Memphis to sign their defense around Marcus Gasol when he started kind of going in his defensive play of the year's war is they would funnel everything, man, drives, pick and rolls, you know, whatever, you know, it was all being pushed towards him. Noah, the same way, what, what, uh, you can know when he was in um, Chicago, you know, it was the same thing. Like Tibbs designed that defense to make sure everything funneled through these, you know, elite defenders. And Noah, um, uh, like Pirtle could also switch on to guys too. So he had a little bit of rim protection. He had that mobility to go out and, and challenge guys in the perimeter and not be, you know, a total fish out of water. And I, I do agree. I think it's, it's a great point that he is probably not quite the guy that you build around yet, you know, in any way, but there are subtle signs that maybe they are recognizing his value, at least on the defense end of the floor. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Keeping up a theme, my number four is Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, <laughs> Raptors fans are going to be very happy with this podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, Raptors fans sometimes find reasons to, to not be happy, so we'll see. Uh, Van, Vliet, <laughs> Van Vliet played uh, fewer than 300 minutes as a rookie. He was not good when he was on the court, and I often think, hey, you know, if you're not playing, there's usually a reason for that. And the Raptors were very deep at point guard. Uh, he went to training camp as an undrafted free agent. And it was a long shot to make it, not because of him so much, but because the Raptors were deep at point guard. And you're wondering, hey, if this guy has even options of where he could go as an undrafted free agent, why would he pick this situation? He was good enough to make the team, not good enough to get on the court. So evaluating his rookie year is a little tricky. Uh, but by his second year, he was a good backup. And he's just continued to advance. You know, now with Kyle Lowry gone, this is, you know, his spot at point guard. He, he's not kind of being pigeonholed as a shooting guard or dual point guard with Lowry. You know, this is... You know, he's the point guard, unless it's Scotty Barnes. So, you know, it gets complicated there a little bit. But in terms of the traditional sense, Fred Van Vliet's the point guard. He is the all-star. This is his first year as an all-star. It's always a, a positive marker when considering uh, this. And he's a tough-minded defender. He's a good shooter from outside. Uh, he's undersized. He, he had to learn how to, how to you know, handle the physicality, athleticism of this level. The only reason I, I'm concerned that I might have him too high because I think he might have been better as a rookie than I'm giving him credit for. Uh, you know, he came in very confident. He, he had a good career at Wichita State. He looked polished coming into the league, and especially in hindsight, you see what he's done after. I think maybe the Raptors erred by not giving him more playing time, uh, but the impact difference is huge. You know, going to go from three points a game to over 20, no question. He, he has that. Um, and he's, he's just, uh, you know, I, I think been in such a good situation, right? We're going to talk about fit, I'm sure. Uh, he's been in such a good situation learning under Kyle Lowry. Uh, what a great role model for a player like him. And he's, he's making the most of, of everything he has with a career year. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that would be my my pushback on this one. I think what uh, Van Vliet has done is awesome. So don't get me wrong about that. I, I Oh, here come I, the I Raptors do, fans at you. Yeah, I do I do think what, what he's done is incredible. Um, I, I also kind of think, too, that maybe we we all – probably looked at some of the or overlooked some of the intangible things that he's the kind of player. And there's a guy that I work with named Tom Walkup. And I used to always say about Tom and he plays uh, in EuroLeague now, but he just, he figures stuff out. He just figures out a way to be effective. And uh, Van Vliet is just one of those guys that I think he does that. And I think that's, that's a skill just as much as finishing with your left hand is a skill. Um, and so I do think he was a little bit overlooked, but that shouldn't take away from the way that he's made himself into a valuable NBA player. Um, 
The only pushback I have with this is that I know he's averaging a career high, I think, in points. Um, but I, I don't know if this is necessarily like a career year for him. Um, you know, I, I think basically he's at a point where, you know, he's benefiting from being on a really good team. We're noticing like the Raptors this year because we weren't anticipating noticing the Raptors this year in that way. But like Scotty Barnes being there and the way that Scotty Barnes plays, you know, Barnes is, is kind of a, a point forward in a lot of ways. And so it mm-hmm. takes a lot of pressure off Van Vliet to, to kind of do the things that he's not great at. Like he's not great at coming down every possession with a defense keyed in, always having to create his own look. Barnes, uh, you know, even to the degree Pascal Siakam, those guys take a little bit of pressure off him in that sense. Um, and it's allowed him to maintain his efficiency, which I think has translated into this season. I don't know if this year he's done anything that I've seen or I've said he's added something to his game. He's gotten better. Um, that would be my only quibble. And again, you know, it's, it's nitpicking here in a lot of ways. You know, he's had a great season. It's definitely statistically in some ways the best one that he's had. Um, so I totally get that. I guess that would be my pushback because I, I don't, I don't really see this as a career year in terms of like he added something that took his game to another level. I think he's been the same steady, solid guy that's been growing and kind of on his normal career arc. That's also benefited from just having um, a really key piece in Scotty Barnes put around him. Yeah, that's, that's my only my only pushback on it. Other than that, I think it's a great choice. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you you look at what he's doing compared to so it's all relative, right? I, I agree, he's not tasked with this huge uh, offensive creation burden as much as some point guards are, but he wasn't in the past either playing with Kyle Lowry. Um, I think it has increased slightly, but I would agree. I look at at Fred Van Vliet, and I don't necessarily think he's way better than he was the last year, maybe even two. Uh, But I think think one thing we got to give him credit for, he's playing almost 38 minutes a game as a six-foot-one listed at, uh, not overly athletic point guard. Um, you know, to be in that level of shape, I, I don't think anybody coming into the NBA uh, can can jump in and handle that. So there's improvement there. So some of this is the impact versus skill. You want to talk about the skill improvement? Doesn't rate as highly for him. The impact improvement, I think, is just enough to qualify as a career year. And then when we go all the way back to comparing it to his rookie year, uh, when he wasn't getting minutes, and even the year after that, when he was merely a, a good backup, and that seemed like a massive success, I do think he's made that grow. Yeah, and again, like I said, it's very it's nitpicking at you its finest on my there. So we, we, we can't. Uh, otherwise, this would make for a very boring podcast. Yeah, it would be making for a very boring podcast if I just nodded my head and say, hey, "You're right." Um, <laughs> yeah, well, my, mine is going to be, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to pick a little here, probably on this one. Um, but my fourth is actually uh, Brandon Ingram, uh, and and so the reason I, I went with back. him. Well, this is the reason I went with him. So I have a friend of mine that, that actually. Um, does some work for for the Pelicans, and so I watched a bunch of film, um, you know, to kind of talk with them about stuff before the season began. And you know, Ingram just—it was I think last year in New Orleans was his first year where he really heavily had this primary creator burden foisted upon him. Um, you know, obviously Zion was was healthy and playing more than, uh, but it, it was still kind of Ingram at the controls and. I didn't think he was very good with it. I, I thought he settled way too much for for kind of not very efficient shots, and he's not uh, DeRozan from those same areas. Um, I thought his playmaking was lacking. Um, I wasn't even really super high on him. I thought, you know, his fit was just kind of like, 
a guy that is, you know, your third, second or third shot creator on the floor at most times, um, you know, kind of where he was before this career. And even then, though, like, you know, he was raw and lanky and, and he's gotten better, obviously, each year after year in terms of this, the physical skill getting better, the shot making getting a little bit better. But this year, the reason I think it's a career year is one, um, you know, he's played without Williamson the entire season. And that's a, that's a big like that's a huge deal, obviously, when you lose a player of that caliber to take some of the pressure off you, especially the scoring burden off a player like Brandon Ingram. Um, but then the other part of it is uh, I think his playmaking has taken a uh, I wouldn't say huge. Maybe huge is probably too big of a word, but a very noticeable leap, probably the most noticeable of anybody on this list. His passing and his identification of reads and his ability to do that, kind of being the keyed on guy for New Orleans. Um, I know Alvarado has come in and played really well for him. Um, but I think that to me is kind of why I push him into career year mode is his playmaking, his assists are at a high. Um, and his turnover and his turnover ratios actually or his turnovers actually went down per game. I know the scoring has dropped, the shooting efficiency isn't there, but He's kind of molded his game in a different way, and I have a ton of respect for that. And it's so it's taken away from maybe some of the raw scoring numbers, but I think it's advanced his own his own game as a whole and his contribution to winning, which is why for me this is like his career year in a way. Um, you know, especially because this New Orleans team has no business being in the playoffs, in my opinion, and they're right there. And they're, they're, they could cause, especially with the McCallum trade, they could cause some trouble if they win the play-in game and actually, you know, get into a series. Um, and that's kind of why he's here for me on this list. I, I think he's just gotten better. There's a clear, significant upgrade from where he was as a, you know, that raw um, first-round pick in L.A. to where he is now. Um, they're two totally different players. Well, not totally, but two very different players, in my opinion. And this one impacts winning better than I think he ever has. Very fair, except I don't think it's a career year. Uh, his three-point percentage, uh, the previous two years, 39%, 38%, uh, down below 33% this year. And I, I think some of that is a little fluky. Uh, some of it's degree of difficulty on the shots, but I don't think it's enough to explain it. And some of this is sample size, right? Over the long run, we're getting a sense of what type of shooter he is in some years on a really down year where he's cold and things aren't going right, this might be the low water mark, and he might not be 39, 38% he was the previous couple of years. But just in terms of impact, you know, whether the shot goes in or not is, is what matters. Um, last year, I had him ninth on this list. He was a first-time All-Star in 2020. I thought he was slightly, slightly better last year. And in some of the ways you're talking about, the passing, things like that, enough to consider it a career year uh, and include him on the list last year, not as inspiring as this case would have been, in 2020. But I just think without the shot making, not a career year. But because of all the skill advancement that you're talking about, I agree with that 100%. I think he's a prime candidate to make this list for me next year, right? Next year, hey, the shot regresses toward the mean. He still has these advanced skills. He can still affect winning in in ways he couldn't before. He puts it all together. Uh, Then I think next year, the year after, somewhere in there, like he's a prime candidate to rank highly on this list for me. Yeah, and you know the the, the all star thing. You know, you make a good point. You know, it's it's always tough to like be like this is this guy's career year. You know, <laughs> after kind of a crowning achievement type of thing happens. Um, but I, I guess it's just because of where I was. You know, I, I even went back when you invited me on the show, um, and I read you know kind of the, some of the notes that I had on him, and when I was catching up watching some film, and I was just like, wow, like this dude has 
just like the passing it just it stood out to me so much I, it might just be one of those things too where it, it just was something that slapped me in the face a little bit i was like <laughs> I, I, I couldn't shake it and had to put him on the list um but it just felt like it was so so night and day better for him um that i i couldn't look away when you talk about improvement and to me like statistical numbers are great shooting percentages are going to always ebb and flow um i think a guy that you know, we, we kind of look at like campaign, right? Like where everybody was amazed at what campaign came to and did for the Suns last year. He was shooting the ball really well. He was super efficient. And, you know, there was kind of that thing of like, well, he hasn't really played that many games. He only plays like 15, you know, minutes a night unless Chris Paul's out. You know, and then this year, like we've seen a little bit of that step back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so shooting numbers, I don't really get super caught up in. But, I mean, the team in general with Ingram on the floor has been, I think, over three and a half points better, which is telling me that he is – the things that he, are, he is doing, even without the shots falling, are more effective towards winning. I mean, and that's what we always talk about. Like, I mean, it's rings culture, baby. You know, this is the thing that matters is what, what gets teams to win, what gets teams to a higher level. Um, and I think that honing on that skill and proving that skill to me – um, was really big. I just think it's a it's a huge thing. It's something that we worked on with players a, a lot. Is you know becoming more efficient by making the team better by moving the ball better, um, and that's what Ingram has done. So it's it's just kind of an exciting development to see a player do that. Um, and I think it's the reason why you know the team has been so much better this year with him on the floor versus off it than last year where he was kind of like just slightly you could probably say it was just noise where he was like I think like a half a point better uh, per 48 minutes or that the team was half a point better with him on the floor per 48 minutes and that's a big boost you know especially when you consider he probably played a ton of minutes with with Zion Williamson last year Um, and also we've seen the impact of Lonzo Ball on his defense last year and that was gone and Devontae Graham hasn't been nearly as good for them this year so there's a lot of factors that have like gone on that I think like we're seeing it come out in the wash that the skill that he's improved this year, even though his numbers don't scream career year, even though the accolades don't scream career year, it's pushing this team to a better version of itself, which is like a huge thing for me, at least in the way that I approach the list, you know? Yeah. And I appreciate that we're looking at it in different ways. That's uh, that's why yeah. I'm, I'm glad to have you on. We should uh, take a moment to set the baseline for Brandon Ingram of how lousy he was as a rookie. He had all the hype of being the number two pick, of playing on the Lakers. Uh, he made an all-rookie team I didn't think he deserved. He averaged, you know, uh, you know, a, a decent number of points per game, um, you know, because he had a, a big role. It was, I guess it was only nine. He averaged nine points a game, but he, he you know, he started 40 games. Uh, but he just was not ready. Uh, he shot below 30% on three-pointers. He was at 44% on two-pointers, 62% on free throws. Uh, he was somebody who came in with a reputation as a shooter, did not shoot at all. Uh, you know, took a, he made big games into his second year with the Lakers, but still didn't really look like that uh, good of a shooter at 68% on free throws. He got up to 39% on three pointers. But you wonder, oh, well, what's going on there? Uh, that, that unevenness, even his third year, he's only at 67, 68% on free throws, 33% on three pointers. So it took till he got to New Orleans to really solidify his shot to where you say, oh, the, making a less than a third of his three pointers this year, that's uncharacteristic because he's still bolstering it with a good free throw percentage. You can see the stroke there. You're absolutely right. It ebbs and flows. Um, yeah, I just, to me, to a certain degree, it's what you do, right? It, it's the, it's the impact. Um, and so when, when you're looking at the skills, I see what you have on the list and I see why I, I don't, and I'm looking more at impact, but, 
he could get there next year. And the one other thing we haven't really gotten into is his defense is, you know, not good. Um, you know, <laughs> may, 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 maybe some slight gains from priors, maybe. Um, probably, I guess. I don't know. But but he's got the length. Um, you can see some glimpses sometimes where I, I bet defensive improvement is part of why he's going to make this list again in a future year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And when you look at, you know, especially with as important as length is in terms of, you know, how we understand it to impact the game, um, you know, he obviously is a very high upside to be a very versatile and disruptive defender, especially off the ball. Um, and so it would be interesting to see if he, you know, especially getting, you know, playoff basketball can really sharpen guys in terms of wanting to commit to that end, wanting to max out that end. Because, you you know, mistakes are magnified on that level. The intensity is so high that you can't miss rotations. You can't be switched off. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they get into a really tense first-round series they win the playing game and all that stuff. Um, when he comes back next year, where he is mentally in terms of his approach to that end of the floor. My number three is Darius Garland, uh, another first-time all-star like Fred Van Vliet. I kind of went back and forth on, on how to rank those two. Darius Garland came and had a much bigger role. Um, very clearly in over his head, like nearly all rookie point guards uh, who start. They're almost never ready, and he wasn't. Uh, especially early in the year, he looked pretty timid. He, he was supposed to be a shooter. He wasn't making shots. He wasn't even taking enough shots. Uh, you know, if he's going to be the point guard, he was, he was playing with Colin Sexton, trying to figure that out. If he was going to be the point guard, it didn't seem like he was there as a passer. Now, that's obviously a skill that often comes around later. You don't give up on that, but you get the credit for improving it. Well, now he's an all-star. He's a confident shooter. I think he's a big part of why Cleveland's offense works with those two bigs because Garland is in such control as a pick-and-roll operator. Uh, He can make those passes. He's taking and making those shots. He's looking like the player I thought he could become coming out of college, which is a uh, big advancement for how rough his rookie year was. Yeah, well, I'll kind of change it. I actually had him – too but i'll i mean since it's this is all it's all meshed together i'll I'll, he was on my list at two i i will just go to him now since we're bringing him up um but i i agree i i you know i i did a big i think i was writing for someone yard barker um (laughs) at the time of the draft they asked me to do a bunch of prep stuff for the draft um and i watched it you know garland was obviously hurt um his one year at vanderbilt um, he missed the majority of the season, so he had very limited sample size. But you saw glimpses of some, sub stu- of, some of the stuff that you're seeing now. Um, he'd make some passes that would get stolen, but like mm-hmm. he, he was making the read, and you like that. you know. And the shooting, obviously, there, like that was his reputation. I think a lot of his first-year struggles with Cleveland – were a combination of the fact that he was essentially like a high school player going to the NBA. And mm-hmm. he, and, and that was a high school player going to the NBA, being out with a serious knee injury for a long extended period of time. So he was playing catch up, you know, for the most, the majority of his rookie season. Um, and, but I also did think when I was evaluating him that, you know, he had, there were ranges of outcomes for him that were interesting. There was obviously the Bryn Forbes, kind of range where he was just a a shooter like a guy that smaller kind of quicker guy that just you know patty mills Bryn forbes type that just whip around they're just looking for their shot they can get hot they can fill it up you know um you know pretty quickly on some nights because they're making shots and they're they're coming off screens and 
their tunnel vision on just trying to get to their jumper in some form or fashion. So I thought that was one of his outcomes. But then the other one was when I saw the glimpses of the playmaking was the complete player that we're seeing now. And, you know, one of the guys that I I originally looked at when you asked me this question was Jared Allen on this list. Mm -hmm. And I think Jared Allen being on this list is a byproduct of Darius Garland or even the contention. When I, when I really looked at it, you know, Ricky Rubio and, and Garland's improvement as a, a total player, as a, a playmaker, passer, the way that he sets up his pick and rolls to just allow things to develop. You know, Jared Allen's career year is a byproduct of those two guys. Um, and that's a huge testament. I mean, that is, you know, the, the thing about it was like the thing that people said about playing with Steve Nash, right? Like you play with Nash and you play for Mike D'Antoni, like you were going to get a huge contract from somebody. Um, Because they made you better and they made you look better. And Garland, you know, he leverages his shooting. You know, he could be a guy that could come off some of those screens and separate to the side or step back and shoot tougher shots. But because he balances out so well with his playmaking so early, it makes the shooting more efficient and more dangerous. And that was Nash's whole thing, right? Like Nash was one of the best shooters that we've seen in basketball, but he wasn't shooting 25 times a game. He, it was like his shooting, his playmaking was always first, and it made him incredibly dangerous and efficient because if guys were so worried about the pass, then they would leave space for one of the best shooters in basketball to pull up at the foul line or pull up coming around the screen by the three-point line. Um, and I think Garland's got a little bit of that in him now. Just watching him play, he's playing to create for others and then using the deadly shooting as like his secondary choice. And you don't you don't see it. That's a very rare thing in a young player. Usually their passing comes when they're like, I can't shoot this. I'm <laughs> right. just going to pass it now. And Garland is already at a point where he's like probing and he's he's playing chess out there. And it's really impressive. And you know, it's it to me, it's beyond the scope of like, this is a first round lottery pick like just hitting the stride this is he is advanced past that like he is this is not a normal aging curve for me when i watch this guy play so i i really have been impressed um i'm curious to see where his game and his impact on winning goes from here um but to me he was an he was a no brand that's why i kind of had him up higher at two um but i mean for sake of the the conversation this is important one i don't really see us disagreeing on pretty much anything with this guy yeah, um, one of the things that has surprised me, especially similar to you, is because he played so little at Vanderbilt, I'm surprised how quickly he's developed as a playmaker. Sure, he right. showed those flashes. Yeah. I was very high on him in the draft. I had him third in that draft behind Zion and Ja. Um, you know, I, I had him ahead of R.J. Barrett, who I, I think it was a little different than consensus Barrett was. was yeah, I think, I think you and I were actually on the same thing. Except <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I had him ahead of Barrett. I actually think I remember writing the thing not being very high on Barrett at the time of the draft. Yeah. And I, and I had him well ahead of DeAndre Hunter, uh, who went fourth, and then Garland yeah. went fifth. And part of that was the flashes of playmaking. But I was also concerned that he didn't have the experience uh, making those reads. Uh, it takes time. And so you're only playing five games. Okay, you showed us. You can see this a little bit, but you got to get used to it. And so you're not getting the experience. And then his first year, he's kind of splitting uh, point guard duties with, with Colin Sexton before, you know, just proving clearly he should be the point guard. The ball should be in his hands more. And then you got to make Colin Sexton work around him. And so, you know, with, with I was doing that in college, with getting the split reps as a rookie, uh, I think the other thing as a rookie, he, he seemed small. Uh, it, it just seemed like he was getting overpowered. Uh, he doesn't 
seem that much bigger now, but bigger enough, right? There, there's a line where, oh, you're too small, you're too short, you're not strong enough, you're just uncomfortable on the court to, okay, you might not be imposing your will with your size, but you're not getting overwhelmed. And you cross that line. Uh, and so it allows him to do this. And to develop so quickly as a playmaker uh, is pretty pretty surprising to me, given the, the limitation in rep. Yeah, I mean, and that I mean that's why to me I, I was I would have been hesitant to put any like third year lottery pick on here just because like this is kind of what you would almost expect them to do is you know grow and get better and have each year get better and better um, you know not necessarily always in a linear fashion um, <clears throat> but I mean you know this the general arc would be this but it, it has happened so quickly. And the nuance has come so fast from in such a short time, it's just hard not to be impressed. That's and that's it just stands out to me because this is not the normal aging curve for somebody with his number of minutes in the NBA. You know, and that's why I think it's it's special. And that's why I'm I'm genuinely excited just as a basketball fan just to see where he ends up. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. So you had Garland number two. We'll circle back. Who was your number three? So my number three uh, was Carl Anthony Towns. Um, so, and the reason is, uh, I know maybe the numbers don't look like they're any better this year, um, but I was kind of digging into his synergy stats and it, to find like actual numbers that I could say this is better. Um, and his isolation numbers are night and day. And I also think that his ability to drive and create off the bounce has just come to a completely different level. Um, and to me, he's now doing it on a legitimately very good basketball team. These are not empty calorie numbers. These are not, you know, Kevin Love putting up 2020 games for a 35 win mm-hmm. um, Cleveland or uh, Minnesota team. This team is good. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs and he's added stuff to his game and he's fitting it into a winning situation. Um, and obviously with the defensive stuff, I will, I will go right away to that. He is not where he needs to be there. You're seeing some glimpses at least of some engagement. I think in some of the games that I've watched, it's better than the complete turnstile when he's on the floor. It, it's like, he's not even there kind of stuff that was happening earlier in his career. Um, but the offensive force that he is now, you know, the way the Wolves can throw him the ball, the way that he's kind of getting the, the dirt treatment, 
um, in terms of because his shooting has taken you know such a turn and has gotten so good that when he picks and pops in the middle of the floor, they have to veer back, which means like the guard who was originally guarding the handler has to come back and kind of switch on to Towns like an impromptu thing, um, or they just switch in originally, and then they post him at the nail. So he's been getting a lot of these you know kind of um, mid-court isolations against smaller defenders, and he's just – annihilating them this year. I think he's up over one, almost at 1.2 points per possession. Last year was at 0.94 um, in the same situations per synergy and synergy data is there's some holes in that. Um, you know, there, it doesn't, it doesn't count. It's not like second spectrum where it doesn't count the possessions that go nowhere. Cause he just passes out in the play moves somewhere else. Um, but in terms of, you know, when there's a shot, there's an assist or a turnover um, in those specific situations, he is, incredibly efficient at a higher volume um, and it's giving Minnesota a brand new dimension in terms of just how to destroy teams and put constant pressure to them on the offensive end of the floor. I would love to see him get better as a passer. I'd love to see him get more engaged as a defender, but he is really getting close to a complete scorer as you'll find in the league right now. And again, the part the point that I'm going to hammer and I'll let you pick at this part is, um, He's doing it in a winning situation. There's no empty calories here. Um, it, this team is winning, and he's a part of that, and that matters, I think, when I put together like a list like this. Yeah, there's, there's no question the stats don't exactly cover how much better he is because he's talking about chasing stats. You can, to a degree, manipulate the stats, and he was pretty good at that. And I'm not saying he's not doing that at all now, but he's not doing it to the same extent. So if you're looking at just straight stats, um, you're not going to cover his full range of improvement. However, he is, he is uh, by a good margin, had the best rookie season of anybody we've talked about. And probably, uh, you know, I, I have Joel Embiid as somebody who, who uh, for, you know, the full 10 list. But other than that, uh, you know, these, these are largely players who were so-so at the very best as rookies, maybe slightly better than that, uh, as we'll get to my next guy. Um, but but uh, Carlton Towns came in the league so polished. He was a unanimous rookie of the year. You know, that's a high baseline bar. Uh, so he needs to be much better than the other players we're considering. And, you know, maybe in your estimation, he is the defense, I, I think, is probably the, the biggest point in his favor. Yeah, it's not good enough now, but it's a lot better than it was. It's all relative. It's based on the level he set before. And his mm-hmm. defense was pretty lousy. And he's, he's improved a lot on that end as part of playing on that winning environment that you talk about. So I, I think he makes some sense. But to me, just he was way too good as a rookie uh, to to come near my list yeah i mean he definitely this uh, and again it's it's one of those subtle things where you know you're looking at it and i i kind of wanted to find like an actual um stat to back up what i've seen but his drives per game are up and it Mm -hmm. just seemed like he is better off the bounce the ways that he was scoring as a rookie and the ways that he was getting his his shot creation as a rookie and even the early parts of his career were a lot different to me and it was a lot more volume based and he just seemed a lot less dangerous. Like he just, there were just certain, certain things that he didn't have in his, his game at that point. And it, it, it seemed like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed to me early in his career, he was a very good interior player and yes. then he became a very good perimeter player. And now he's connecting though. Yes. In that's... terms of scoring, in terms of scoring. That is the best way to describe it. <laughs> I think that's a perfect uh, summary of what I'm my babbling is trying to get to. Is he definitely scored in different ways? The drives per game, he's averaging like three more drives per game this year than he was last year, according to NBA tracking data. 
Um, and just the way that he's getting to the basket is nuanced when he's putting the ball on the deck. You know, we used to work a lot on, you know, kind of driving through contact and like your last two steps after the gather, the way you use your body, the way you can kind of hit defenders legally um, to move them and then step through that contact. And that was stuff he had none of in his game early on. And now he looks like James Harden sometimes where he'll hit somebody on his first step out of the gather and then step through that and get to a finesse finish. And that was stuff like that stuff that I look at that he had to put work in to be good at that. It's not an easy thing to do as someone who's tried to work with guys to teach him those things. It's not an easy thing for those guys to carry over from working on it to do it in the game and do it well. Um, but it's a huge part of like why a guy can be really successful off the bounce is, you know, in the NBA game, those guys are super athletic. They cover a lot of ground. You're not always just going to be able to rip downhill and just go dunk every single time. So you're going to get contact. You're going to get guys that cut off your recovery angle because they're incredible athletes with great anticipation. So you got to have the nuanced skills to, to get those shots, to create those shots that other guys may not get to with – the steps, the way you use your body, the cadence, you know, when you're hitting somebody, what finish you get through after you step through. And he is showing me a lot of that stuff. And it's a big part of it because with his shooting improvement, as far as like a volume three point shooter, you know, he's going to get chased off the line more and more. He's going to get switched on to more and more because those are better options than just letting him pop into space at this point. Um, And so to me, that's why this is like, it's so night and day from where he was as a rookie is it's just all the little nuanced stuff that's taking his game to a more efficient level. And it's probably part of the reason why, even though his numbers aren't the same, this team is just so much better this year. Is he the way he's transitioned and changed his game allows everybody else to be better than just sitting on the block or catching in the dunker or just getting force fed isolations. Like, when you can space and bend a defense with those types of skills and you can play off other people where you're, you know, catching attacking closeouts, it makes the whole team better. So he's developed his game in a way that elevates a team because he's easier to fit with now. Because he set such a high bar as a rookie, the way I look at it, he's going to have a hard time ever cracking this list for me, but I'd really like to see <laughs> yeah. what I'd really like to see for him in future years is better passing. If he's going to have yes. the ball in his hands, if he's going to be this driver, this individual scorer, he's improved a lot as a passer from where he was at the beginning of his career, but I, I'm not sure I've seen the games from kind of the level he set once he reached his prime. Um, and so, yeah, with, with that increased workload, you, the connectivity has got to go both ways. And so I, that's what really could drive Minnesota's offense to the next level. And of course the defense, right? He, if you remember, he came into the league, we, we thought he'd be a much better defensive player. It didn't turn out that way at all. Um, I don't, I can't speak for you, but the general consensus was uh, he'd be much more advanced defensively. And so yeah, I think he has a lot of room to improve still, which is always exciting when he's already made such big improvements. Uh, if you'll allow me to lay a little bit of a trap for you for a second. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. Carl uh, Anthony Towns won rookie of the year unanimously. Uh, that okay. same year, third place for rookie of the year was Nikola Jokic. Who's better right now, Carl Anthony Towns or Nikola Jokic? Oh God, I mean it's it's Jokic. I think it's okay. got to be Jokic. So, so if Jokic was behind Towns as a rookie, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> and now Jokic is ahead of Towns this season. How is Jokic not higher on the list for you? Unless, for, unless he's your number one, and I'm uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself. No, he's he's not. He's not. Uh, I, 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 I think, can't believe I the trap for myself. Jokic. 
Yeah. I think with Jokic is it's part of its perception in a lot of ways too, because Minnesota has been a sad sack franchise for so long and they're in the playoffs and they're good. And they're at like nine or 10 games, I think over 500 now. And we were kind of used to Jokic um, in a lot of ways. Like we, like to me, I think the thing with Jokic that didn't make him, me put me on his list is he is having a career year statistically, but part of that is the, added burden that he's had with Jamal Murray, like just being there. And that was kind of his running mate. And this guy that would, you know, handle a lot of creation issues and take some of the balance off or burden off of him offensively. Um, but also like we've, we've seen this movie with Jokic before in the sense that like he has been elite and elite for a good team. Now, this is not the first year that it's happened. And so I think part of that is maybe just, you know, human bias perception type of thing. It's like, it looks like, Towns is taking a bigger leap because Minnesota is way better and they're surprising and that stands out more. And he's added this, this tangible thing of like attacking more off the dribble. So it's like easier to see some of those things where with Jokic, it's like, he's just doing the things that he's always done really well. He's just asked to do them more and he's doing it for a team that's already been good. And so it kind of, that, that kind of context I think is maybe what, shifted me away from wanting to put him in my top five. I mean, you would have been in a top 10 for sure, but that, that context is what maybe pushed me away from a top five spot for him. Okay. So, yeah, I think the acceptable answer to why you wouldn't have Jokic is, oh, I don't, just don't think it's a career year. I thought he was slightly better last year. And you could go back and forth and you get into the situational context. I think it is a career year, but just barely. So he, mm. here's, here's my view on this is, yeah, Towns has made a bigger leap from last year to this year. But this is a career award, and so year over year from their rookie year on, it's, it's Jokic, who, who I oh, have number yeah. two, who, who's made the, the bigger jump. And I do think he qualifies for it a career, as a career year, and it's only so marginal from last year. But I do think the increased workload without Murray, mostly without Porter, or Porter when he was playing being pretty bad, um, he's, he's handling that. He's doing well with it. Um, that's not such an easy thing. Just because you have a bigger role uh, to also increase your, your own efficiency – to increase the amount of playmaking you're doing, uh, you know, I, I think that's a sign of slight growth. The other thing I look at is it's no longer a novelty that Jokic is in shape, that he is a decent defender. Um, you know, early in his career, he looked like a defensive liability. I think he, going to last year, improved a lot from that. But, but now it's even a step beyond where uh, it's the point we can take it for granted that, that he's a fine defender, probably not more than that but a fine defender, which might be all you need when he is uh, the best offensive force in basketball, the best passing center of all time, an elite scorer in his own right. Um, and so to make those gains from somebody who was in a position battle with Yusuf Nurkic, uh, I, I think is pretty extraordinary. So if you have him as a qualifying for this utmost improved player based on it being a career as I do, then I've got him number two on my list. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's really nothing that you can speak out against that. I mean, I, I remember um, we worked with a player that went to Summer League with Denver um, the year Jokic got drafted, and, you know, he was just this kind of gangly, big European dude that, you know, you could tell had a pretty good feel because he, he grew up over there kind of playing, you know, against men for his whole life. And, you know, but I, I kind of remember watching that, and I, I even left that Summer League, and I was like, oh, you know, you might be all right. Um, you know, now he's legitimately in the MVP discussion. So yeah, when you talk about career awards, very hard to, you know, refute any of those points. Like he clearly has come uh, 
a long way. He's gotten better at certain things. I think this is more like a recency bias thing for me in the sense that, you know, he's picked up the slack with other guys out and he's probably gotten marginally better and his numbers are marginally better. So it's mostly the career year type of thing for me. Uh, but every other point that you made is, I mean, I couldn't agree with him more. I think it's, it's a pretty incredible story where the, where the dudes come from. And, you know, he's obviously one of the most fun and best players in the league to watch. And that's somebody who I thought was underrated as a rookie. Um, and, but still to go above and beyond by so much incredible. All right. My number one, my only question is whether or not he qualified, whether or not this is a career year. If he does qualify, I think he's number one by a mile. Um, you haven't said him yet. So I'm kind of thinking we're going to have the same guy. Uh, who is your number one? Oh yeah. Giannis. Yep. Me too. Okay. <laughs> let, let, let's start with whether or not this is a career year. Uh, because that, if, if, you know, he's a two time MVP who's probably not going to win MVP this year. Is this, a, is this the best he's ever been? I think so. Um, because we, we've all kind of seen uh, the impact that like Brooke Lopez has had on the Bucks over the year, over the time that he's been with them. And so, you know, Lopez has barely come back to play and that's a big deal. And, and, the, and the way that Lopez opens up the game for the team in, in, both he takes some pressure off, obviously, with someone like Giannis defensively, which Giannis has had to pick up the slack there this year. But offensively, you know, we kind of talked about this before too. When you when with Vucevic and, and DeRozan, is when you can stretch your five man out and pull that defender out of the paint, um, it opens up things massively for everybody else on the floor. You take the biggest guy; he's got to respect. The other big guy who's now staying on the perimeter and the paint's wide open. And Giannis has had to operate without that all year. And I think Middleton and Drew Holiday have also, you know, they've, they are cemented in terms of their impact on the offense on a nightly basis. Um, and yet, to me, not only are Giannis's numbers probably better at least i think he's averaging the most points per game that he has in his career right if i remember if i remember writing that down yeah yep he's he's over 30 for the first time yeah so he's averaging the most points per game in his career but the thing to me is even when they won and watching the finals last year i felt like Giannis missed reads in terms of his playmaking i thought his passing was instinctive but it was the same thing that we kind of joked about before that it was like he couldn't do his step around guys, power through guys, dunk over guys. So he'd out of the corner of his eye, he'd wrap and drop it off to Portis or Lopez or swing it out to the corner for a three point shot. This year, he has gotten into much more anticipatory passing, much more awareness that he could drive and get into a gap and then kick out and create a three. And he doesn't need to try to pick the ball up and step around somebody and then shoot like a little running hook or something like that. That to me is why this is a career year is I think he is evolving as a playmaker while becoming more efficient as a scorer. The free throw percentage has gone up and it looks like something that should hopefully translate to the playoffs in terms of teams not being able to just follow him and have it be an issue. Um, so to me, this is his best season. So he's not going to get the accolades for it. I, I don't think he'll win another MVP, but it's his, it's the best version of himself. And we all know, you know, the story of where he's come from. So to me, it was kind of a no brainer, number one. And I didn't even really have that hard of a time, you know, kind of talking myself into this being the best year of his career. 
Um, I'm with you. Uh, so now that we've established this is the best season of his career, but, you know, he's competing with Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid for MVP. He's not competing with the guys he beat out or, prior, uh, you know, in the, the previous couple of years when he won it. So let's talk a little bit about his growth over his career and why we both have him number one. I, I see somebody who came to the league uh, very raw, very, very raw, uh, had not built up his strength, like night and day how he looks as an athlete and showed flashes and then came in and just refined everything about his game, uh, you know, be, became the ball handler he has become, become became the passer he's become. I, I may not be quite as high in his passing growth uh, from this uh, from the previous the MVP years uh, to this year or even last year to this year as you are, but his passing growth from early in his career, phenomenal. Uh, using that strength to score inside, highly efficient, creating shots for himself, uh, phenomenal. Uh, the defensive growth, phenomenal. He's probably worse as a shooter now, an outside shooter. Like, as he bulked up, I think he might have lost something there with his shooting touch, but it's come back up now. Um, has, has figured out something. He's maybe not the threat on three-pointers, but he's gotten his free throw percentage up. That, that goes a long way when you play like him, uh, when you're drawing all these fouls. Uh, he won most improved player in 2017, and that was like his third a uh, straight year of major growth and he kept growing from there to win a most improved player and then to get better and then get better again and then win an MVP and then win another MVP because almost every time you win a back-to-back MVP because of voter fatigue you have to be even better the second year uh, and, and so for Giannis to keep growing and growing like that and then have another career year on top of it uh, I think is one of the phenomenal player development stories in NBA history. Yeah I mean there's really nothing to take away from you know that synopsis is just he has the way that he is leveraged, you know, because we've seen a lot of guys that came into the league with his his build, right? You know, longer, lankier. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of the name; it's escaping me. But uh, Anthony Randolph types, mm. right? Right, and we, but we've never seen probably a player make the the commitment to make the physical transformation that Giannis has, and at least I'm trying to think of. We, we haven't that, seen it in this direction. We've maybe seen guys who come in bigger and get in better shape and trim down, like yeah. in the similar magnitude, but building up is something different. Yeah, and, and you kind of saw it last season in the playoff series against the Nets. Like, Blake Griffin is not only a great athlete, but he is a big, strong, solidly built dude. And Giannis was bully balling him in that Brooklyn series to a point where it was like, damn, (laughs) what's going on here? Um, And so, like, I I think that to me is is incredible to think of where he was at 20, where he was at 21, that he is physically overpowering a league of physically impressive athletes. And it's not just jumping over them or running by them. It is just literally moving people out of the way (laughs) constantly, um, and it, it's impressive. The, that physical transformation is just unbelievable. I can't even tell you how rare the type of commitment it takes to, to do that, um, to get the right type of training. I think part of his shooting issues aren't necessarily about bulking up. I think there's kind of a misconception there. Um, mm. I do think that the way that you train and just the, the fact that generally taller people have um, – mobility issues in their upper upper half just because they're tall and the world isn't built for tall people and if you you see a lot of guys that even don't make the nba um but they're six foot nine or taller you know you get a lot of rounded shoulders a lot of um 
you know, what we call, you know, kind of just kyphosis in the, their, their T-spine, uh, which screws up their, their upper back mobility, which then goes through the chain, you know, the whole song, everything's connected. Um, so I think part of it is it necessarily his mobility isn't great in his upper body right now. I think he could, and, and this is in theory, I haven't like ever worked with him in that capacity. Um, and I know that he's done some good work with some people in his, in his corner for his knee. Um, I was lucky enough to have some conversations with him about that at some point. Cause we worked with his younger brother for a while. Um, so he, he, he has good people that are doing good stuff. I think that's one area that he could clean up a little bit, but I mean, again, I'm not here like physically assessing him. Um, but I think that's part of the reason why his shooting has looked like it's regressed. It's not like necessarily that he's bulked up and you have a, a this or that type of situation. Like he's either going to be big and strong or he's either going to be a skilled shooter. You can have both. Um, you just have to do it the right way and work on the right things. Um, but I do think in general that regression shouldn't be held against him just because of the fact that like he is completely tapped into his physical dominance and it's just incredible that transformation that he's made. He's not a string bean and he could have, he could have went through his whole career. He could have went through his whole career, just not wanting to commit to that. And to have that mindset, to have that intensity of approach to be around the right people that help you do those things in the right way. That combination of stuff is so rare. And that's why it's just so special to see this type of overall career development in someone because it just doesn't happen very often. One of the things I love is that the tenacity to attack in the weight room is the exact same mindset he brings onto the court. You can see these going hand in hand, the way he attacks the rim. And even there, you've seen him grow over the last couple of years to where he's learning how to how to win, how to approach things on the court and sharpen his mental game. So I look at the year the Bucks lost to the Heat in the playoffs, and Jimmy Butler was cooking the Bucks, and Giannis gets asked like, "Well, you're defensive player of the year type. You're one of the best defenders in the league. Like, why don't you guard Jimmy Butler?" And he's like, "What me? No, no. Like that's not my role." And in the sense, he's right. You know, he, what made him special as a defender is his help defense, and you don't want to take that off the table by putting him on Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is a perimeter player. It's not like a great matchup for Giannis. But there's also something, too, the great players just figuring out how to win. And yeah. you go back to last year, and I think Giannis is, for this award, still getting some benefit of the doubt. Well, when they played the Heat, Giannis is guarding Jimmy Butler at times, right? Sometimes the best players just need to figure out how to do it, and he has done that in every way. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, it's just he's a special person to watch and I, I really think anybody who loves basketball just needs to value this because I I just don't know if we're ever, we're ever that we will ever be a part of another story or see another journey like this in terms of just the type of person he is the intensity in which he approaches stuff um, you know generally the level of excellence he's achieved um, I, I just think it's all incredibly impressive impressive and I can't you know, say, say enough that I, it's just so rare to see this from an athlete. It's just a perfect mixture of things that came together. Um, and, and like you said, he's got that thing where he's figuring stuff out and the passing this year is like that next key. You know, it's not, I'm going to drive until I get stopped. It, his next thing is figuring out how can I impact the game before I even put the ball on the ground. Um, and I, I think it's just scary to think of like what he's going to do next year. <laughs> So, so I invented this award uh, last year, which was a year I do not think was one of Giannis's career years. 
at the time. But I think about, you know, he was one of the biggest inspirations for this because he, yes, he won most improved player in 2017 and he might've won this utmost improved player that same year. But I think about how many times would he have won it? Cause he won most improved player and came back was an even better. He might've won again that year. He came back was even better uh, and won MVP. He might've won it that year. He won MVP again. He might've won it that year. What do you think the chances are that some point in his career, Giannis will have a season even better than this one and qualify again for this award? Oh, I mean, I think they're, I wouldn't bet against it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> That's the other thing I'd say is that I would not take the opposite side of that bet because, you know, whether it's improving as a shooter or whether it's be fully committing to just being a, a true playmaker first um, and using and leveraging the threat of his drives and his physicality and his post-ups um, or just becoming a, a more efficient post player and continuing to refine there where, you know, once the passing takes hold, and he's getting single covered because that's better than him spraying the ball out. Um, you know, there's a chance that then he just becomes a completely dominant, efficient one-on-one post scorer. Um, so there's a lot of routes that he could take to get there. And that to me is again, what's, you know, incredible about this is like, I don't think we've seen, this isn't peaked out Giannis. Like there's still things that he could do to get better. There's still mountains he can climb and he's got the mentality to want to go climb them. Um, so I would not bet against that he could be on this list multiple years ahead of us or in the future. Brett, thanks a ton for coming on. I've really enjoyed our discussion and, and seeing where these players are, are trending uh, as they go through their careers. And, you know, it, it not only is this, I think, honoring the, the development, the improvements that they've made so far, but you see where they're going and you get a sense to look forward of, Hey, how have their games been advancing and how can you project that going forward too? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. This is a lot of fun. Uh, it's always fun to kind of debate the gray areas of, of basketball and, um, you know, have the kind of bar school conversations. So I appreciate you having me on, Dan. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music, discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album, and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple app store or Google play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 